0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
2: The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show, a podcast brought to you by Levi Solicitors with a 10% discount on your legal fees. Levi forward slash the Square Ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hiya. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. Must go white as well. Daniel Chapman. Hello. Get all our podcasts ad-free in one feed in your regular podcast player with TSB+. Plus. That includes the Extra Ball and our Championship Manager podcast. This week on the Extra Ball, we're celebrating our favourite Leeds kits, plus the ones we hated as well. You can probably guess one or two of the disliked ones anyway. You get early access to the Matchball too with TSB+, Plus. not to mention full access to the full digital magazine, including the most recent one, for discounts on merch and our magazine specials, get involved with TSB Plus at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. Let's get into it then. We've always said Lancastrians are bastards, and now we know for sure. Project big picture. What do we think?
3: It was an international week, wasn't it? So we had to have something to talk about, and the, the big, horrible bastards at the prep... I mean, did entitle this this section Premier League Bastards on the prep sheet, just so we, we know where we are with it. I mean, it's not
1: massively surprising, is it? It does have that... um thing about it where you start to wonder if it is us. I mean, we spent 16 years trying to get out of the EFL to come and play teams like Scum and Liverpool. And then as soon as we're here and we start being good, they're all like, actually, I think we're going to join the EFL. So, see ya. Like, what the fuck? I was thinking if Roderick Zanini's madcap scheme to buy Valencia comes off, will Barcelona and Real Madrid just be like, quite fancy the Portuguese league, actually.
3: Sorry. See you all. But would you not agree then that Project Big Picture is providing a new beginning which will revitalise Football Pyramid at all levels? Do you not think it'll reinvigorate clubs at the lower leagues and the communities in which they're based? No. Do you not think it's about building on what is good and making the most of what works in order to benefit the game as a whole while simultaneously tackling those issues which trouble all of us?
1: No. Do you know why? Why? Because if it was about that, they would have asked some of the people involved instead of it just being the owners of Scum and Liverpool and Rick Parry thinking it up themselves over however many years and then suddenly deciding to announce it in the middle of a pandemic. I think they told Chelsea, didn't they? Just as they were about to announce it. They told, all right, Chelsea and Spurs again. I think we're going to do this, actually. But when even West Ham, who fucking suck and would benefit from this to a a small degree, in theory anyway, uh, are like, no, actually don't fancy this, then you are on the the wrong track.
2: For the benefit of anybody who's not familiar with the details, it basically means two fewer teams in the Premier League, a big wedge of money to be spread out among the Football League clubs, rebalancing the finances somewhat, uh, £100 million payments to the FA to make up for lost revenue, scrapping of parachute payments. But the, the key issue for me, and I think this is the at the heart of the issue, is the nine clubs in the Premier League given special voting rights on certain issues based on the length of time they've spent in the Premier League, which includes Southampton, West Ham, uh, Everton are in there as well. That's the thing to keep an eye on, isn't it? Because I think it's easy to see the whole thing and go, well, no. But there are some decent suggestions in there. I mean, the finances are absolutely insane. So the whole thing does need rebalancing. However, why can't we rebalance it, but without giving all the power to some American
3: billionaires? That's the thing. There are some nice ideas in there, like helping out teams in the FL. That's that's great. Helping if the if the FA is short on money, that's good as well. The stuff about, you know, giving money to grassroots football and women's football. That's all very nice. But they could just do those things anyway, and not have any more power if they were bothered. That's an op- that's always been an option to them. At any point since 1992, the Premier League has had the option to give more money to to all these things, and they've not bothered. And also, it's one of, the, one of the other nice things in it is that we're saying all oh, well, the clubs will have a veto to stop any like bad owners coming in. And then you realise that a lot of the people who are going to have this veto are themselves bad owners. And it just all absolutely stinks. There's, I don't want any bit of this to happen.
1: The things that sound good about it that Dan listed and then you mentioned, the one that is kind of unassailable is the... I think it's 25% of broadcasting deals to the EFL, which is a huge increase on what they have now. The maths on it do reveal that it won't actually cost any of the top six clubs anything because they're expecting to make it back from European matches and the reduction in the number of games adjusts the calculations so they're not actually giving any money away. But there would be more for the EFL. The other aspects to it, the, the payments that are being called grants... Um, the Rescue Fund and the £100 million going to grassroots and women's football. The women's football one is a is a really interesting one because it kind of is a good way of seeing what the direction of all their intentions are. So there's £100 million to women's football and grassroots football. So immediately the women's game is being just lumped in with Sunday League and kids and parks and, and it's not actually being given its own... Uh, deal at all and where it is treated separately is where um, it's basically told to piss off the FA currently managed the women's super league and the idea is that they would no longer be doing that, the women's game would become independent and um, what does independent mean? It essentially means nobody involved in the men's game is paying for any of it anymore and I think there's, you see that happening to the women's game where it's like here's under a million quid, you can share it with a a local kids' team and then just don't fucking bother us anymore. And it's the similar idea with the EFL money, 250 million quid. And then after that, do you mind just going away? Because we don't want to give you any more after that. You'll you'll have 250 million. So leave us alone.
3: Rick Parry talked about this. He said, um, this is genuinely about power with responsibility. Of course, we'll look for safeguards. We can't guarantee it's going to be in place forever, but we couldn't guarantee that when the Premier League was formed. So basically... Having given this money, they then give themselves the right to never give anyone any money ever again. It's a one. It's a one-hit deal, is this?
1: Which is all down to concentrating the power with six clubs. Which the thing about it being the nine longest serving is a complete red herring as well, because the the voting power you would require a majority of six. So it basically needs the big six gang together, and then Southampton and West Ham and Evan just get ignored. But but they are they do get a vote. It just doesn't count for anything whatsoever if the other six teams all agree. And the opportunism here, this has been being cooked up for several seasons by the sounds of things uh, Scum and Liverpool's owners and Rick Parry have been talking about it, which is they're presenting that as, as one of the good things about it. We haven't, this is, you know, we've been given this detailed consideration for a long time. Well, in that case, why announce it now in the newspapers without telling, other Premier League teams or even other football league teams? And also, what's all this stuff, the £250 million COVID rescue funds? How come they're in there? You've not been talking about that for three years. So if COVID hadn't happened, I'd I'd be interested to know what the deal was going to be if this had been announced in February. What would be there in terms of rescue funds and uh, payments to make up for lost revenue? Would any of that have existed? What was the plan? if there wasn't this need to rescue the teams and how much of this has come about because there is a need to rescue half the fucking football league and in return for saving them, you get all the power.
2: One of the other major things was that promoted teams from the EFL would have 25 million quid in revenue held back for each of the first two seasons, I think it is, to mitigate the removal of parachute payments in future. So if you go back down, there's your 50 million quid to, to see you through. And somebody did the calculations on this and forgive me because I don't have the source to hand, but they worked out on the basis of last year's Premier League that Norwich, instead of turning over 97 million quid, I think it was that they got from merit payments and TV appearances, they would have walked away with just under 50 million quid. So it would have, to all intents and purposes, have halved their income for getting promoted. But at the top end, the top-earning clubs, unaffected. Strange that.
3: In any industry, when people who are at the top of it start lobbying for change, whether it's a football club, a bank, a gambling company, a tobacco company, McDonald's, whatever they are pushing for, it's always for them. Look at the people proposing it. If this was coming from the Football Supporters Association or someone who, like a grassroots organisation that looks at what fans want and what the actual heart of the game is, they wouldn't be proposing this. Look at who's, benef- who's going to benefit from it and look at who's proposing it and just don't even give it a second thought. I would be astonished that anyone is falling for this, but I have seen bizarrely a few people defending it.
1: The problem is that it has those good things in it. And so the good things, the rescue funds and the increased broadcasting payments and the kind of the attempt to close the gap between the Premier League and the Championship and so on. There are those good things in there But I think the message has to be you can have the good things in a completely different deal. Someone else can propose the good things without all the shit that comes along with this deal, which isn't even a big deal. I mean, it's a proposal from three people. And one of the things that will be interesting to see how it continues is whether this talk of uh, Rick Parry wouldn't comment on rumours that they would break away from the Premier League and join the AFL if the top six didn't get their way. But how committed Liverpool and SCUM and Paris are to making this happen It's going to be interesting over the next weeks and months and see just how far they go to try and put this through. Because the response, although there have been those people who quite like the sound of some of it, you've got the prime minister saying it's wrong. You've got the government saying it's wrong. The football supporters association have just uh, put out a statement describing it as a cyanide pill. It's a sugar-coated cyanide pill is their headline of their um, of their response the insatiable greed of a small handful of billionaire owners cannot be allowed to determine the structure of football in this country. And it goes on like that. And the response many people is is along those lines. And the FA, who still have the golden share that can block changes in the Premier League are making noises that they're going to use it, which then opens the door to this breakaway business. So how far any of that goes? But as Michael Mentioned then and with mention of the Football Supports Association, fans do get an absolutely minor mention way down the bottom. I think we're even lower than women, which really shows how far down the priorities we are in the uh, the eyes of the people cooking this up. Because I don't know if there's, uh, if there's many things that give them less reason to think than women's football and fans. But a fans charter, there'll be a fans charter. So that'd be good. Oh, and and is plenty, which I mean, there's fucking, there's already that's happening. This isn't new. Those aren't new ideas to help football supporters. It's just, uh, do you want a charter? Yeah. Which is another thing that you can put together. You can have some uh, focus groups, get some um, family liaison officers to, to work on it and then just fucking ignore it. So it's, everything is baked in of uh, they're essentially buying the right to ignore everybody in the future and they can fuck off.
3: <laughs> Don't you think that Scum now have just obviously decided they want to help smaller clubs? Do you think I think that's their aim? Having watched clubs on their doorstep like Bury and Stockport and Bolton and Wigan and of Victoria kind of go to the wall. Do you think maybe after all of that they've gone, ah, oh, maybe maybe we should do something to help? Maybe we do care about the community. If only they sign over all of their assets to us, we might we might be quite happy with that.
1: I think they're going to throw all their support behind FC United of Manchester, aren't they? It's definitely on the agenda.
2: While well, we're talking about other the bastard moves, let's have a rifle through pay-per-view and the fact that we're going to be asked to pay more money to watch the remaining matches, which, I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about this because I would quite happily paid per view at the end of last season to see us getting promoted, but it felt different paying it to the club for LUTV coverage of our games in a an unprecedented time. We are still in that unprecedented time, But something doesn't quite sit right with the money flowing through BT Sports and Sky Sports accounts, does it? And the amount of the payment being 15 quid. People are up in arms about it, but I quite happily paid a tenner last year per game to Leeds United. So what's different?
3: I think last year felt different because it was an unprecedented time, whereas everyone should have foreseen that this was about to happen. The games were free. Last year, they just basically stuck all the games out so people got used to having it for, well, I say for free. Obviously, the the ones on BBC were free. Everything else was contingent upon a subscription of some sort already being in place. But the thing is with the Football League things as well, for 10 quid or whatever, there was some work going into that, like particularly lower down the pyramid. If there's games being broadcast from like Accrington or something, that game isn't being filmed other than that. Whereas this is all just happening anyway. All these games are going out somewhere in the world. And then for the benefit of, sticking that exact same feed on a British telly, they want 15 quid for it.
1: Yeah, £15 is too much. And then also a lot of people have already paid for these games and can't go and have no real prospect of whether they're going to get a refund on season tickets, whether it's... um, I think Leeds tried to sort of get things organised with the idea that people would be able to go to games again in October now. And they've started saying... Well, we might have to look at its credit against a, a season ticket for next season. But there's a, a question for how much is a lead season ticket? Like Five hundred quid, isn't it? Round round figure. When people who've bought those are actually going to either get to see a game or get the money back is completely up in the air. So, if you want to see that game that you've paid, you have paid to watch Leeds play whoever at Elland Road. If you want to see that game, you now have to buy a subscription to whichever of Sky or BT Sports has the rights to show that one on pay-per-view and then pay the £14.50 on top to buy it for pay-per-view. And you you paid for it in very good faith at a point where, you know, why did anybody buy a season ticket in the middle of the pandemic? We all knew that it was going to be a, a problem down the line, but I think there was a certain amount of trust involved where, well, they'll probably sort us out. You know, if we if see it, you get a cold. And that was what actually worked very well in the championship Tenner was a, a reasonable price to watch the match. And if you had a, a season ticket, you got a code to watch it for free, which is perfect. It's It basically replicates the experience of going to a game. Season ticket holders go in. They've already paid for it, so they don't hand over any cash. Somebody who isn't a season ticket holder pays to buy a ticket to, to go as a, a one-off. So just replicating that is the perfect solution. And I don't think anybody would be complaining if the deal was – the game is going to be shown live on TV. If you've got a season ticket, you get a code for it. If you don't have a season ticket, it's a tenner. Fine. The problem is, and this is where it kind of is related to Project Big Picture, is there is mentioned in that clubs having a certain amount of games to sell themselves on their own club pay-per-view channels. That model is something that Scum and Liverpool and the likes of them would prefer because they think they can make more money selling their European matches around the world without having to negotiate and without having Burnley and Watford matches dragging the overall price of the broadcasting deal down. And I think BC and Sky have looked at that situation and said if you start doing that now, it's like everything with all these proposals that are flying around at the moment. There's so many power grabs going on that if you let it happen once, how do you stop it from happening again? So if Sky and BT say, yeah, okay, Scum, you can put your games on Scum TV and you can charge, you you know, you sort your pricing out and do that. Scum will say, well, we made loads of money doing that. So, you know, when we're negotiating the next broadcasting deal, why don't you just let us do that again? And we don't have to deal with you because this seems better. And then suddenly Sky and BT have got all their subscriptions and everybody's who's signed up to buy a subscription to them so they can watch scum is going like well don't need sky and bt anymore so there's a lot of protectionism i have a feeling that that is why these games have ended up on sky and bt is to make sure that they remain associated and essentially in charge of broadcasting the game in this country and that does it puts us people who just basically want to watch a match in a really awkward position because you don't want to support scums project big picture plans to steal all the broadcasting money and keep it for themselves but at the same time you don't want to be paying however much it is a month for a sky subscription a bt subscription and then pay-per-view on top so what do you actually do we don't have a solution the solution is for everybody involved to stop being dicks but that that seems incredibly unlikely
3: i mean there, there is a solution there but it's it's one that means officially you're not allowed to watch any games which is you just don't pay for any of this stuff which is a a very obvious way of doing it.
1: I mean, that is the other thing. There is an option. I mean, if anybody's looking for a way to to watch the games legitimately and is not... I mean, we're away at Aston Villa for the match that's being shown and they've moved it to a Friday night, which is inconvenient. If you have the pound-a-week subscription to LUTV, they put the full 90 of a match on fairly soon. I can't say for certain it would be by three o'clock on Saturday, but the option is there for £1 to ignore the match on Friday night, get off social media, pretend it isn't happening, and then at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon, which is when games should be kicking off, sit down and watch it on LUTV as if it was live and you didn't know what was going to happen, <laughs> and that will cost you a quid. So that is an option. It is there, and it's there is a, a sort of a jokey side to that, that it's now unimaginable that if leads are being shown on BT sport box office then you can't imagine not finding a way to m- watch that match but I mean I don't think of myself as a particularly old person maybe I need to to change that that around but it's not years and years ago that games weren't live and you might not even see the goals if you didn't catch them at the right time on on Sunday on TV when they showed a few or if you missed match of the day, you might not see the goals until the end of season review video. And I don't feel like I've had a particularly deprived upbringing as a result of sometimes not being able to see a Leeds United match live. The match
3: ball is going to be poorer for it though, I
1: think. Well, I mean, obviously, well, people get to don't watch the match, just listen to us. And in fact, I mean, the norm, the norm a long time ago not actually that long ago, is that you didn't see games live. They just weren't available. You either went to the ground or it might be on sky once a week or not. And you didn't really you didn't have all the options that are available now. So I think that's it. that's something to kind of keep in your arsenal if you are contemplating handing over seventy five pounds to try and make all the various channels come into alignment so you can watch one match, just miss it. Just don't watch it. You'll be all right.
2: You will, but I also think that's ridiculously idealistic and it doesn't. it's not really representative of the world that we're in, is it? And the fact that every Premier League game is a broadcast game for, for foreign TV and all that sort of stuff, Moscow. So God bless you, but that's not really happening, is it? That's not, that's not the world that we're in.
1: But that, that exists with the entire thing that the Project Big Picture is talking about, because why is there that pressure? on football fans that just because a game is being shown on TV somewhere in the world, I have to watch it. Who's created that? And that demand has been created by the television companies who are desperate to sell this product that they overpay billions for. So it's not really something that has been inculcated in football culture from within where fans have created this idea that they must see every game. It's broadcasters telling you, this game's on, you'd better watch it. If you don't watch it, are you a real fan?
2: No, Moscow, I want to watch the fucking games because I know they're available. That's the point, isn't it? I, I just, I can't, I can't go along with you on it. And I, mean, I want to move the discussion along anyway and just ask you about Leeds United's role in this because we know they're uh, tuned into fan opinion and the things that we say and the things that fans are saying as a whole and they voted along with this. I'd be interested to know what the the shades of grey are within that because you look at it, you think they voted in favour of pay-per-view but maybe it's not all as cut and dried as that, that it's a, they think it's a great idea. Because at the crux of this is the fact that the, the season ticket money is still tied up in the club, whereas this is a slightly separate issue in that it's centrally controlled, isn't it, by the Premier League, and we know how kind of overarching they are. So I'd be keen to find out, do you, well, do you blame Leeds at all for any of this, and what's your opinion about the club and the way they've handled it?
3: I mean, we are owned by a man who made all of his money from selling sports rights and has a pay-per-view channel himself. So it's not entirely surprising that we've supported this. And I think, as is often the case with this, and if you, to go back to Project Big Picture, if you look at that, in different circumstances, the owners who put Leeds would probably be all for that as well. If we were an established top six team, they'd be like, yep, no, this is, this all seems fair. I'm sure they would. I'm not surprised that Leeds have supported it. And I'm in some ways, the only reason, thing I'm surprised at is that one team, which was Leicester, actually didn't support it because... They're just all desperate for money all the time from all sources and don't seem particularly bothered about the morality of any of it.
1: Leeds United supporters Trust did ask the club what their views were, why they went along with it, and the club responded that other options were asked for, most notably the ability for clubs to use their own TV channels and have control of the costing model as last season. But the clubs say that the decision ultimately sat with the Premier League and the broadcasters leaving little choice but for clubs to agree um, because they felt it was better to have an option for fans to be able to view all the games rather than miss the ones not selected for schedule. Um, the supporters trust raised their frustrations with the club and the club have assured us they'll pick those up with the Premier League and other groups next week to push for a better solution. I mean, the, the one thing to remember with the pay-per-view at the moment, is it is only until the end of October. They do keep kind of rolling this month by month, week by week. So it sounds from what the the trust have spoken to the club and they got the answer back that they basically said, "Well, this is going to be better than nothing. At least people will be able to see the games this way." And they weren't really left with any other options, given that I mean, you know, it is fair enough for Leicester City to vote against it, but it does look like a fait accompli amongst the rest of them. Because it didn't make any difference, other than we now know Leicester voted against it, and we see that Leicester City, the recent champions of the Premier League, have no power. So I think it's kind of an admission of uh, of Leeds's status as well in the in the Premier League. We have been in it for a month. I don't know exactly how uh, much weight Angus Kinnear has to throw around in the room when these things have been discussed. I think it's just kind of like too much of football and particularly if Project Big Picture happens, the decisions are made before anybody goes in the room.
2: Leeds United's newest recruit, Rafinha, comes under the microscope this week on The Athletic and Phil Hay is going to be delving into the mailbag too. Later this week, we've got the Phil Hay Show podcast that we collaborate on with The Athletic. Watch out for that. And there's a podcast out uh, this week too called The Next Big Thing and it's going to be on the Phil Hay feed, an episode all about Stuart McKinstry. You can get your eyes on Phil's stuff, Premier League coverage and the world of sports right now on The Athletic for a pound a month. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. So no football to review this week, international week and all that, but we have had players playing and some of them getting injured as well. It's been lovely from an English point of view to see Calvin ascend to the first team pitcher for England and obviously Tyler Roberts played against him uh, for Wales. However, we've got a couple of knackered ones as well.
3: I just think this whole international break has confused me massively. I don't... It feels like England qualified for Euro 2020 about a year ago and then we're playing a qualifier and and then other teams are still playing playoff games to come and then there's some nations league games mixed in and I think everyone's forgotten what the original point of that even was in all of this like it just feels like a stupid thing to have been doing at this point when people can't like see their own families unless they're in a garden and there's only a few of them. And then at the same time, hundreds of footballers are being needlessly moved around the world and picking up injuries to play in a Nations League competition, which I'm not even sure if it it's in with anything anymore.
1: I was very confused by, and I still am confused by North Macedonia's role in all this because they, they won their game with Alioski playing, and that put them through to a Euro qualifying playoff against Georgia. And uh, this week, either. Wednesday night or Thursday night they're playing Georgia but it's not the playoff it's a Nations League match and then they play them again for the actual qualifier and I don't understand why the Nations League games I mean the Nations League games are kind of setting the qualification for Euro 2024 no it's the World Cup this is actually technically the World Cup 2022 qualifying that we're in now isn't it?
3: Isn't that separate as well though?
1: I think it's maybe like 20% it's like half you you get to send, like, seven players if you win this. And then you can make it up to a full team if you go through the, the qualification as well. I mean, I'm the same as you. I was completely mystified because I expected, um, you know, when the everybody was crowing about getting through to their, um, their playoff matches, I thought, well, great, so the next games will be the playoff matches. But no, they're playing just other games.
3: I feel like the Nations League seemed all right at one point. It seemed quite fun but football's calendars all got messed up and compacted in Euro 2020s in in 2021, even though we're still calling it that. And it, it just, I feel like they should have just decided to call it a day for a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the good news is I've just looked at North Macedonia's fixtures. So they beat Kosovo last week. That got them through to the playoff. Then they drew 3-3 with Estonia, which was a Nations League match. They're playing Georgia in a Nations League match Wednesday night. And then on the 12th of November is the playoff with Georgia. So there'll, there'll be another international break for that. And then once they've played that playoff, three days after that, they're playing Estonia. And they appear to be playing Armenia the day after. So this really hasn't helped me get my head around. <laughs> anyway, they're at, home, they're at home to Estonia on the 15th and away to Armenia on the 16th. Surely that's not possible. <laughs> Poor Rally. I mean, we're worried about pe- players getting injured. If the Dragon Alioski from Macedonia to Armenia and making him play one hundred and eighty minutes
3: I'm guessing that was a game that was arranged in case they didn't qualify for the playoff, and it, that will then be cancelled, you would think anyway, although who
1: knows well,
2: commiserations to the Republic of Ireland who didn't make it through in their playoffs uh Northern Ireland however, did Stuart Dallas scoring in that penalty shootout uh, against Bosnia and Herzegovina, so they peacock
1: Farrell saving one I mean yes, yeah, saving one. And did you see him
2: shithousing? It was the first one, wasn't it? He seemed shithousing the uh, the Bosnian striker who took the first penalty, pointing to where he was going to put it, and he did put it exactly where he said. But he didn't save it. That was a little bit unfortunate. So the North have secured themselves a place in the playoff final for the Euros that took place last year. And uh, um, congratulations to Scotland and Spain for securing broken groins for our centre backs,
3: just to demonstrate how pointless this whole thing has been, Liam Cooper played 120 minutes as Scotland drew 0-0 with Israel, which did put them through to the, because um, they won on pens, it did put them through to the, the playoff final. In those 120 minutes, I'm guessing neither of you watched this, can you tell me how many shots on target there were? 120 minutes. None. Any advance on none, Moscow?
1: Minus six.
3: <laughs> there was one. Who, one which shot team? on target. Who had it? It was Israel. Liam Cooper did hit the post, but obviously that isn't, doesn't count as on target. So, yep. They played... 120 minutes for one shot, and then just went to pens. Should have just had pens. They could have done it remotely somehow. I don't know. Do it on a computer or something.
1: Zoom pens. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Zoom, but just don't bother with it. Waste of time. And then Liam Cooper'd be fine.
1: There is a. I was thinking about this with both Cooper and Llorente doing the groins on this. We've not had as many internationals. We've been quite fortunate with injuries last season. I know Adam Forshaw is his own special case. And Tyler Roberts has his problems from time to time. But one of the big concerns about Bielsa is always how hard he pushes them in training. And, you know, murder ball is more competitive than a match and blah, blah, blah. But he, he does get away with it without constantly just hurting his own players. And that's not by accident. You know, the physical demands and the the loads that he places on his players in training have been honed and calculated over years of doing this. So he knows exactly what he's doing, how to train them every single week without injuring them. You go away with Scotland and you've got Steve Clark has got you running you know, from one broken oven to another up and down the pitch. And it's only a completely different form of training. And I'm wondering if that just knocks our players out of alignment, that it's not the carefully calibrated training that keeps them healthy. It's the shit training that fucking Steve Clark does that hurts them and breaks them and makes them feel pain.
3: Lewis Enrique doesn't know what he's doing either, does he? He's never been at any big clubs.
1: And I mean, how much longer has uh, Calvin Phillips got to endure Gary Southgate? Although it was nice uh, to see that Calvin was brought off the bench to make sure we beat Belgium, who are the highest-ranked team in the world. I think there's a. I was quite reassured by the Wales game that Calvin played. The whole thing that when you looked through the match reports, he was hardly mentioned. Nobody really said anything about him. And he got seven out of 10 in most of the the things. And there was a lot of kind of, oh, wasn't Jack Grealish brilliant? Cause he did some step overs, but Calvin just absolute solid England midfielder. And has established him to the point that when we're trying to beat Belgium, Jack Grealish stays sitting, sitting down Calvin. No, we need a, we need a competent. He's coming on for Jordan Henderson. And that's status. He's established himself after, two matches, that in his third, he is now the one that Gareth Southgate looks around at his bench and goes, I need Calvin Phillips in this game. So he's he's done very well. And Jack Grealish, still shit.
3: you just reminded me in that, that Wales game, something else odd that happened, which again just added to the, my opinion that this shouldn't be happening. It, didn't England play about eight right-backs in it? I'm sure there was Trent Alexander-Arnold, there was Kieran Trippier and Walker, I think, were all in the team. And it's like, what? Why is there so many? Why, why, why? He, he, the thing with international football is you don't get stuck with a bagged squad. You can pick a balanced squad, so you you don't end up with like loads of left backs or whatever. But uh, just let's just not do this again. Can we all agree? Let, I'm perfectly happy for Calvin Phillips to go and play in tournaments and in games that matter, but for these ones, I'd just rather he didn't bother.
2: Well, we do know that Berardi's back at Thorpe Arch, um, been there a week or two now, um, continuing his rehabilitation. Place on the bench against Wolves, maybe, um, with a lack of centre-halves.
1: Wouldn't bet against him, would you? It'd be yeah. Uh, stroke, cock in the first team. That's the options, isn't it? Or cock, stroke, whichever way around. People like to do it.
2: Returning to domestic matters then, and the domestic transfer window closes in a few days at the time of recording. At 5pm on Friday, the 16th of October is the domestic deadline. That Cantwell link hasn't quite gone away yet,
3: has it? I wonder if it's just not going to because people keep asking Victor Alter about it because it's been reported online. I know it's the Pinken, which is that Norwich thing, said um, Leeds Chief confirms Cantwell interest was what they're led with. But what he actually said was, yeah, we watched him last year in the Premier League. But, you know, we've watched everyone. It's more or less what he said. So uh, I don't know. He's not denying it, but I don't think there seems to be any great interest there.
1: Leeds Chief confirms interest in all footballers. It's essentially what it is. We analyse all the players, he said. We know them really well. We analyse Cantwell in the Premier League, but it's like a lot of players we've analysed. We don't fucking want him.
2: Maybe we do want Louis Sibley, though, who is a child at Derby, who was noted for his sarcastic hand clapping in the Guard of Honour that they were made to do for us after we'd won the Championship. don't know if you remember that. That was great. He's only played 12 games in the Championship, but they're said to have put, what, a £10 quid price tag on his head.
3: No Morris will probably buy him himself for that, won't he? If he's unable to sell him to anyone else, just pump that money back in. I, I don't want him to jump some little shit from Derby. What could we possibly want with him? I've
1: got to say, he's probably been valued by the same people that valued Pride Park for them. As mentioned, though, Barardi's back at Thorpe Arch, so if we wanted to straighten him out, it's possible.
3: We might have to go back and retract some of the things we've said here about Lewis Sibley when in a few years' time he's lifting the Premier League for us, but I don't know anything about him. He didn't look very good when we were wiping the floor with Derby with our reserves, so probably not good enough.
2: Although there's so much money now flowing around in the Premier League and we know that'll always be the case, so why don't we just drop this £10 quid on him just so we can call Derby our feeder club and enjoy mocking them. It's worth doing for that reason
1: alone, surely, no? Should we buy Wayne Rooney in this case? I'm up for it. How much?
2: And a quick uh, rifle through the loans out that we've got at the minute. Who's gone where? We've got Jordan Stevens at Swindon. Alfie McCalmont is at Oldham being coached by
3: Harry Kewell. And let me just... For now, for now. They've had a bad start. I'm hoping they'll sack him soon.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just reaching for the table. Let me just have a quick look at that.
1: It's hilarious. You will laugh.
2: Out of the 24 teams in the Sky Bet League 2, Oldham are the 24th team. Uh, they've played five matches, they've won none of them, they've drawn one, and they've lost four with a goal difference of minus
1: six, sitting on one point. Well done, Harry. Why does that knobhead keep trying to manage teams? He's really fucking bad at it. He, Crawley, he was out, wasn't it? And he was terrible. And I'm sure he's been somewhere else and he was fucking rubbish. And didn't he, did he am I imagining it, but did he go to Notts County very briefly? And then basically turned around when he got this glamorous call from Oldham. I might be making that up. My knowledge might be way off. I just can't stand a little prick. Just stop it. Just
3: stay at home. He was at Knox County. Joined them on the 3rd of September, on the 18th of of November. He was gone. He was sacked though.
1: Okay. (laughs) Even better. Well, then, you know, what makes him think he should try again? He couldn't even get through the Champions League final without crying. What does he make you think he can manage Oldham?
2: I'm the same age as Harry Kuehl. W- would you trust me in charge of a football league club?
1: Yes, compared to him.
3: I'm just looking through his record, actually. Crawley, 57 games, a 31.6% uh, win percentage. Notts County, 14 games, 214 Oldham, nine <laughs> games, 33.3% win percentage.
1: I mean, what do they think is going to happen? Oh... Harry Kuehl, he'll attract, he'll attract some big-name players, won't he? We'll get Kevin Muscat and Martin Viduka will come and, come and play for us. You still hold him, And also, five minutes in Harry Kuehl's company, you probably think, well, actually, you know, the countryside around here isn't so bad when you get out of the city. Sack that manager and I might play for you.
2: Other loanies that have gone out, Bryce Hosanna to Bradford, who uh, lost the A658 derby to Harrogate Town. Um, last night as we were recording, which is, which is nice, isn't it?
3: I hope they can console themselves with that DVD of beating us in the uh, Dave Hockaday's League United in the League Cup. They'll always have that.
2: Mateus Bogus is at UD Logrones in Spain, in the second tier, and Ryan Edmondson, after some sort of miraculous Rob Price witchcraft at Thor Parch
1: back at Aberdeen. He's now a, a European footballer, played in the Europa League, officially. Who did he play against? Um, a team. Oh, okay. A foreign, foreign one. It was Sporting, in fact. A 1-0 defeat to Sporting Lisbon.
3: Oh, I thought you were just describing the game.
1: <laughs> he came in off the bench with nine minutes left in place of Marley Watkins. That's pretty good, though, isn't it? Good going.
2: It is, and Sam Greenwood's pretty good as well. He's scoring goals for fun in the under-23s at the start of the season. They've had a a decent little start. I say decent start, they lost 4-0 at Stoke. Well, let's not concentrate on that one. <laughs> uh, they beat Sunderland, beat Middlesbrough, and it looks like Gelt Hart is ace. Greenwood will be in the first team uh, deposing Rodrigo and Bamford very soon and we will be the European champions in no time.
3: I did actually watch that 4-0 defeat at Stoke and I mean, it was kind of on in the background so I wasn't watching it very in- intently but it, we seemed to have the ball for the entire game and then they won 4-0. It was very unfair.
1: It's interesting with the impact of Joffe and Greenwood that kind of, I mean, nobody's that asked about Ryan Edmondson now we've got Greenwood, are they? And there is maybe a, an element if you see how under twenty threes categories lift up. We thought all our players were dead good. And then we just go and sign somebody from Arsenal's under twenty threes and he's a million times better. Joffy
3: does look amazing, I have to say, from the I mean Greenwood obviously is, is putting some really good finishes as well, but the kind of all round play of Galhart has been brilliant in these games. He I can I mean, I don't like to use the Rooney comparison, but I'll go Gascoyne instead. He does have a bit of that about him, that he seems just very hard to dispossess and can jink his way through people. That's old Rooney, by the way, not not modern quarterback fat bastard Rooney.
0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: No game again this weekend. We are waiting for Wolves to arrive on Monday because we are on the telly yet again. Bit of a mixed bag for them. Some wins, some losses. What do you make of Wolves? They've always seemed to be held up as the example of how you should tackle the Premier
3: League. They lost 4-0 at West Ham, so they should be relegated. Probably immediately. Maybe if if that's part of um, the new proposals, that if you lose 4-0 to West Ham, you're instantly relegated, maybe I would be for it. Because you can't lose 4-0 to West Ham, can you? I mean, prior to that, they'd beaten Sheffield United and lost at Man City, which is also... That all seems fair enough. But 4-0 at West Ham, you can't do that.
1: That did seem like it might be the end of the story. It should be, because they have done very well with uh, Nuno Santos there manager has kind of lifted them from the championship helped by George Mendes's millions of pounds worth of free players and I think yeah if you're losing to this is their second or is it their third season in the Premier League third I think yeah right he's taken them as far as he can can't he if you're losing 4-0 to West Ham the, the dream is over you had a good run get
3: Dave Jones back in time for this
1: game if possible
2: their big threats are going to come from uh, Traore, who is an absolute animal on the wing. He's just so powerful, isn't he? I mean, brilliant footballer. What a talented guy he is. I hope Stuart Dallas can deal with him.
3: I was remembering a, a nightmare game against Traore, and it was actually when Pat Bamford got a hat-trick, but it was when Traore was somehow able to run through um, a spine of our team consisting of Lasoga, Saiz and Unino Kane. But funnily enough, he went. He just glided past all of them and was playing Pat Bamford in time and time again. But yeah, he is incredibly good and has got better since he was good for Middlesbrough. So I'm a bit worried about him. But you know, we'll see. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Slightly better equipped now. I mean, do we still do we still own Union O'Kane in some way? If as long as we just ensure he's not in the ground, I think maybe we'll be okay.
1: They are a decent team, and it did help that you know they got all that financial doping from. George Mendes and the Chinese owners that Roderick was whinging about when we last played them, but it wasn't really a surprise that they just went straight to European places in the Premier League. Sort of a quiet threat, because we, we spend all the time worrying about playing Liverpool and Manchester City. If it's real that we are potentially a top 10 team and outside chances of being Premier League champions, Wolves are a team we have to beat.
2: I think this is potentially quite a dangerous game for us, this one, because for that reason, that we, you keep your eyes on those, those big fixtures, don't you? And this one, you don't necessarily hold in the same regard, but there is a lot of threat in this side. I mean, they are particularly good at, at counterattacks, and if you are to believe the internet charlatans who scored.com and their collection of data on this team, they say counterattacks very strong. So we, we could be in for a tough night, depending on particularly if we've Got a bit of a, a youthful defence, shall we
1: say. It does also say that they play with width, but they are weak at defending against attacks down the wings. So get Rafinha on, fuck them up. Do you think we'll see him?
3: In a few months. Not, not now. He might get on the bench. But I think even though having spent a fortune on, uh, on a winger, we'll probably just see Pervader on the bench.
1: There is a small question of who is actually going to be available and what condition they'll be in after this international break. Because Rafinha does have the, the advantage of having been at Thor Arch throughout it instead of being flown around, dragged from Estonia to Armenia and back. Unfortunately for him, also Jackie Harrison, Nelda Costa, Ian Paveda all also all there just practising pinging crosses for Bamford. So that side of things is kind of solid. Going forward, we, we know what they're about and they should be be well practiced but Dallas and Phillips and obviously Cooper and Llorente being broken and Koch has been away with Germany Melier's been away with the French under 21s so they've they've missed each other and it could be a very emotional reunion of um, Marcelo Bielsa basically working them like dogs all weekend to get them ready for this match on Monday
2: How do you see this one going? Home win? Easy three points?
3: 3-3 three, three. Why not? It was, it was too normal in many ways was that Man City game. Only two goals. Pathetic.
1: Let's get some more on. If you're predicting that style of match a six-goal thriller, I'll go 6-0 Leeds.
2: All right, then I'll go for 4-2
3: Leeds. And any of those results, we'll, we'll tune in to see what Steve Nicol hated about it.
2: Well, you've heard now of Project Big Picture. This is Project Bigger Picture as we're going to rename it. What's wrong with the Premier League? Because we're not here just to make up the numbers in the Premier League. We're here to fix it. Man United and Liverpool think that they can fix it. Well, we've got better plans, right? This is project bigger picture. What is wrong with the Premier League
3: this week? It's As we knew, it's full of grasping, entitled bastards, and we fix it by just getting rid of scum and Liverpool. Boot them out. Congratulate Liverpool for finally winning the title, but do then say, I'm afraid that was your last one. You're you're free to leave, and you're not really welcome to come back in. Finish your drinks, lads. You're, you're, You're moving on. You're moving on.
1: If all they want to do is talk to Rick Parry all the time, they can in the Football League. I don't think it's a matter anymore of a of a breakaway or a, a split. It's relegation. Stick them in the Championship and then enact Project Big Picture, pull the drawbridge up and say, yeah, you have to go through a complicated playoff tournament if you think you're coming back up here, because you're not.
3: It would be good if the plan for them to resign and join the EFL, if everyone, if the other six said they were doing it and just let Scum do it, and then went and just do it. <laughs> They've actually done it. We've tricked them. We've tricked them. They have
1: to play Derby now. The Wayne Rooney Derby.
2: All this stuff is kind of what we feared the dreadful aspect of the Premier League would be, how it's completely tied into the broadcast deal and it's all about the brand. And I don't know, just, it's bollocks, isn't it? I, I like being in the top flight and I like us competing against these top sides, but it's bollocks.
3: If this sort of stuff is actually going to happen, I don't, rather than completely ruin... The English league, I actually don't really have a problem if Scum and Liverpool just want to go and play in a European league. Like, I'll, I'll miss them because I grew up watching those teams and enjoy watching us play against them. But rather than have them completely ruin everything else, just, just fuck off and do your own thing. It's fine.
1: Yeah, there is a, a reckoning coming either way. Like a lot of this Project Big Picture stuff is in the build-up to the changes to the Champions League in 2024 or whatever, where there's trying to sort of sneakily turn it into a weekend league that's not a Super League, but sort of is. And it will be interesting to see if we're even allowed to watch football matches in person by then. And if so, which teams we want to watch and what the whole thing's like. I mean, if we've won, uh, how many seasons away is that? Four? If we've won four Premier Leagues in a row, it's maybe Leeds United will have a little bit more power.
2: Just looking at the table... You've got Manchester United currently sat in 16th position. So under these new regulations, we wish them well in their playoff final against the EFL's uh, promotion candidates, the Wankers.
3: I mean, that would obviously be the the other thing that would be changed then once these clubs do get the voting rights is that they go, oh, and none of us can go down. Are we all in favour of that? Never going down? Lovely stuff. Yep, all agreed. Brilliant.
2: Levi Solicitors sponsors the Squareball podcast, and as a result, you can get 10% off your legal fees. It's a leads company with tons of experience and offices across the country, and they've got specialists across multiple areas of law, and they are ready to help you. And whether it's moving house or you want to make a will, they'll sort you right out. Fees transparent and fair, and a 10% discount for you too if you get in touch at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the Squareball. Heroes and villains now then. First, the Ken Bates Villainy Awards. Ken Bates gets a nomination. Those are the rules for this part of the show. What's he done now?
3: I mean, he's not there to support it, but Chelsea's Ken Bates would have been massively in favour of Project Big Picture and he would have probably put himself in charge of it in some way and um, definitely be looking after the funds.
1: I think Leeds United's Ken Bates would have been all over it as well because he would have seen that one-off payment to the Football League and I think that would have appealed to him. Doesn't matter too much about the long-term plans, but some cash coming into the club for free that I can have, yes, vote and build a
2: hotel. Right, um, we've obviously got to nominate Liverpool, haven't we? And do we, do we want to nominate Man United?
3: Well, we expect it of scum, don't we? They've been this corporate entity for a very long time, but Liverpool have got this big, so special and all that that goes on with them. And look, a Klopp, he's such a he's such a man of the people, and all that. And then uh, essentially, they just represent. The same as scum is what it boils down to at the end of this. So sorry, Liverpool, you know better than scum.
1: I mean, it did have that aspect at the start of the pandemic when they tried putting all their staff on furlough and then had to take them off again. And don't forget as well, you were talking about the attitudes towards women's football earlier, that the way they were running their women's team and they have that one one club, one club, uh, was such a disgrace that Neil Redfern basically forced them to give decent accommodation to the players and then quits because it was such a shit show. Liverpool fans would like to think that this is not how Liverpool are. Fucking is.
2: We need to dish out some shade for Steve Clark and Luis Enrique for injuring our centre halves. Two peas in a pod, very much those two, Steve Clark and Luis Enrique. Sick of them.
3: Steve Clark, of course, as well going away on international duty and leaving the oven on. Or did he? He's he's not found out yet. He's still got the, still another game in there. He's he's absolutely his nerves are shredded for worrying about it.
1: It's how uh, Cooper got injured. He told him to go and check and run. Who else do you want to nominate then?
3: Uh, the EFL. It's essentially a nomination for Parry, but I think the EFL in finding someone worse than Sean Harvey. After all these years, we didn't think it'd be possible. And we actually, I, I seem to remember, we thought Rick Parry might be in some way better. Nope, loads worse.
1: Yeah, he started off saying lots of the right things about, you know, we need to close the gap between the championship and the Premier League, and we need a financial plan for football and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out this is his fucking big plan. No bad.
2: Who's your Ken Bates villain of the week? Liverpool.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rick Parry used to be their uh, chief executive, didn't he? Or their chairman for years. So it's all it's all tied together. So it is kind of a, the the scummer Paul Parry bunch. They can have the nomination and the award.
2: On to the Andy Hughes Hero Award, then somebody who's done good by us across the last seven days. Who do we have this week?
3: Sean Harvey. He was a top guy, wasn't he? He may have brought B teams into the checker trade EFL trophy thing. And he may have been there when loads of teams went to the wall. Never did this though, did he? His lack
2: of ability turned out to be a bit of a godsend
3: after all. The fact, the fact Scum and Liverpool wouldn't answer the phone to him was actually saving us all over the years. It turned out.
1: Who else? Calvin Phillips. He just looks good in England kit, doesn't he? And has established himself in the team as mentioned earlier. And, that wasn't always on the cards. You thought, you know, he'll have that first match, see how it goes, and will he then, you know, will he try again? I don't think he's going to miss another game now until he lifts the World Cup for the third time.
3: or oh, Euro 2020 in 2021.
2: It has been fun watching his development and also kind of tracking the world waking up to him on Twitter, where they're kind of going, oh, he only passes it, shot. Oh, he, ha- he can't do long passes. And oh, what does he do? He's like a crab. And then actually, slowly but surely, people with followings, with influence to say, no, look, he's, he's really good. The system's a bit shit that he's playing in there, but he's actually a really, really good footballer.
3: I think playing with three back, right backs and a whole midfield of, of holding players works brilliantly. I don't know why Southgate hasn't got a better job.
2: Calvin's great. Who else do you want to nominate?
3: It's an awkward one. He's had a nomination before as well, but Gary Neville, considering he is actually paid by Sky, he did come out and say that it was a bad move by the Premier League to charge 15 quid for a game. So, fair enough, I suppose.
1: He... Uh... Is he on a par with, um, what's his face there, left back, Patrice Evra, who threatened to resign live on air because he couldn't stand watching Scum get beaten. That was quite an emotional moment.
3: He also did force Sky into an absolutely brilliant retraction as well, did, did Evra. Did you see that bit? No. He um, When they were talking about Moyes at Man United, he said something about David Moyes' daughter and, and Zaha, and then Sky had to go. Just to be clear, uh, nothing happened there. Please don't Google it
2: you <laughs> Sky to issue an apology. I think it was Graeme Sooner saying something about Latin players. It, it was sort of tiptoeing around, um, not say racial or regional or international stereotypes, but they felt the need to apologise at the very end of the program when nobody was watching anymore.
1: He was banging on about yeah, Latin players. To use his phrase, going down too easily as if this was still 1993 and we're still talking about diving foreigners. Pat
3: Bamford speaks Latin and he goes down a bit easily.
1: Very good. Very good, Normanson. To Graham CNS is uh, very limited credit though, the um, the footage of Patrice Ever crying his heart out over Scum getting beaten and then panning across to Graham CNS watching him with a massive grin on his face. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Although it only lasted for a little while because then Liverpool got absolutely thumped at Villa, didn't they? And then he had a face like he'd been sucking a lemon.
1: Which served CNS right the fucking backwards jerk off. A nod for Sam Greenwood. We
2: mentioned him earlier on in the show, actually, about his Premier League Two Player of the Month award. He's been scoring for fun in the
1: twenty-three. So, nice work, Sam. Always good to see a homegrown academy product succeeding at the club that raised him.
2: Very much so. And another one, Ian Pervader. It's lovely, isn't it? Do you see the video of him um, handing out the FIFA boxes? Because now EA Sports in the game are a partner of the club. And um, he was giving out the the packs of it. It's like, you know, the FIFA 21 It's the game, but also... The players um scores, their uh, their attributes within the game, giving them to each of the players, and he was getting mocked for only getting a sixty-two, the poor
3: kid. He doesn't pronounce it as Ian either, does he? It was like Ian without the E at the start, like Yan. Yan Poveda is the way he said it, which is a bit he's like a he's like a Hammers a James Rodriguez, isn't he? He's trying to make a, a very English name sound sound fancy. But yeah, he's lovely, isn't he? It was great. He was I liked him being very visibly upset that Ailing had the same dribbling as him. He was like, no, no can't be.
1: Yeah, and he was laughing about him only getting 62, but then I think what he saw everybody else as it did gradually. There was increasing frustration. 62.
3: Barry Douglas, there was, he had 70-something, seven, didn't he? And he was like, oh, any, anything above 70 is a bonus. He was like, oh, I got 62.
1: But that, there was actually there was a great touching moment after that where Barry Douglas kept saying to him, keep working hard, though. You'll get better. You'll, you, you do the right things. And, and actually literally ruffled his hair.
3: He's a very lovable little character, though, isn't he?
1: Barry Douglas. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, bet him. He's, he's lovable too. But
3: yeah, I think it's the first... We we've seen, saw little bits of Pervader, didn't we, around the, the title win and everything when he was, he was putting videos on and he seemed like a, a lovable little scamp. But it showed that he was quite popular going around the training ground and I don't know, It was just sort of a heartwarming little clip, even if he does seem a bit too innocent for this world. It seems like he'd, he'd be the character in like a... He ends up being forced to kill someone in series two of a programme, having been like the lovable kid on the straight and narrow. And he gets, maybe the bad lads take him, take him astray at some point.
2: Well, we got him out of Manchester City and brought him over to the good lads, didn't we? But he he does um, seem like a really nice kid. And he reacts to things in the same way that I think we all would if we were suddenly parachuted into Leeds United and we were training at Thorp Arch every day with all the rest of them just having like the time of his life.
3: I mean, he's come from that slum over, over the Pennines, hasn't he? So I believe they still train on a, a dog shit covered... Bit of AstroTurf occasionally.
2: Who's your Andy Hughes hero uh, winner?
3: Give it to Ian.
1: I'm tempted to give it to Sean Harvey.
3: Nah, sure we can't, can we?
1: Looking at the big picture, maybe it's time. He is the uh, the all-time most decorated villain, isn't he? So I wonder if it is. this is the moment to say, well, you didn't fuck up this week.
3: Although, as covered, did he not fuck it up because he didn't come up with the idea and no one had answered the phone?
1: Ah, give it to Pervader, it's fine.
2: Just thinking about this, actually, what we could do is we could expand this section of the podcast into a third award. So we've got a hero, villain, but maybe we could do like a mediocrity award, maybe a Jermaine Wright mediocrity award, something
3: like that, and we just give it to Harvey every week. I mean, it'll get repetitive, but we we could try.
2: But Pervade is your winner, then definitely, hundred percent, lock that one in.
3: Yeah, give him a give him something to look forward to. He can have another. Can you get claim an extra point from EA Sports or something for winning this? I'm not sure.
1: He's up to sixty three officially.
2: Giancarlo, you're definitely a 63 to us, at very least. And that wraps up this episode of the Square Ball Podcast. We'll be back later in the week with more on the Extra Ball. We're picking our favorite kits and our worst kits, leads and otherwise. Have a look at TSB Plus as well, our new digital subscription package, thesquareball.net forward slash plus. We'll catch you next time. The Square Ball Podcast.
0: Planning for your next trip?